Yeah, so hello. Uh, thank you guys for coming. Uh, this is our fourth installment of Scent this semester. So we've uh, we've done three other videos talking with different people, different groups of people about what evangelism looks like in a specific domain of student life. And so this week, uh, I'm Ben, I'm the leader of Scent, and my, uh, my leader partner, Michael, we're going to be interviewing uh, a couple, a few guys from uh, Ratio Christi, which is an apologetics group on campus. I'll let them explain exactly what they do, but super excited that you guys are here. Um, so yeah, we'll go ahead, Michael, you can start introduce yourself, and then uh, our guests, please introduce yourselves. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I'm super excited to get into this week. I've been really looking forward to this week in particular, especially working with the Ratio Christie guys. I know it's been a really popular um, segment in the past, and I just really love talking about those deep, gritty questions that Christians struggle with. You know, I think a lot of times Christians sometimes fear um, going to the church, their parents, but they struggle just like everyone else does. Christians aren't immune to struggle, right? And so I think these instances where we're able to just discuss the hard questions are really helpful for a lot of Christians um, who are in that struggle mode, right? Um, and so I'm really excited. Um, again, honored to be here with these great gentlemen, and I know we're going to have a great discussion. I'm really excited to get into kind of what we've got planned for today. So it's going to be a great one. Great. Uh, I can introduce myself, I guess, at this point. Um, so my name's Andrew Foland, and I'm the Area Ministry Director for Ashio Christi. Uh, in addition to uh, doing the Rashio Christi work, I also uh, teach apologetics for a co-op, a high school co-op group, and uh, I am also a cameraman, so a freelance cameraman. So got my hands in a few different worlds. Will, why don't you head? go ahead. Okay, I'm uh, Will Hoyler. Uh, I'm one of the chapter directors at IUPUI. Um, on this side, I also uh, do some work uh, for Rasha Christie from a national standpoint. And I also uh, do some photography work uh, on the side as well. And uh, I've got uh, two daughters. One is uh, at Purdue, so it's nice to see some Purdue uh, representation there. And uh, so, yeah. I'm Bob Schultz, and I'm uh, yet another one of the uh, Rasha Christi uh, directors at IUPY. And in addition to that, I also teach for uh, Horizon University, uh, teaching mostly in theology and philosophy. Uh, I am not a cameraman unless you count this. Uh, so I'm the odd one out, I guess, in this organization. There's still time, Bob. Oh yeah, yeah. I see you guys are you guys are raking it in with it. Sign me up. <laughs> awesome, thank you guys. Um, again, super excited to have you. So, just to give a quick scope of the night. Um, so, first, we're going to start off with just some evangelizing questions. What does evangelism look like? How can this be a practical? How can we look at evangelism practically? Um, and what are some things that you guys, as students listening, can do to improve your, your ability and your confidence in evangelizing uh, to those around you? And then the second, which I'll turn over to Michael, will be a line of questions about some specific theology questions that we got sent in or, um, or feel that students sometimes are not able to answer. Um, so super excited about those. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and get jump, jumping right in. So first question, 
pretty general, what is evangelizing and how can different forms of evangelizing be better? So like, what are the forms of evangelizing and how do they, how do they differ? So if you guys want to just, um, yeah. I can start. Uh, I would say evangelizing is sharing the gospel, it's sharing the good news. That's what it is. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, I would define that, you know, broadly speaking, the gospel is the deity, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's sharing that, that good news. It's a little different from witnessing, um, because uh, witnessing encompasses evangelism, but witnessing can be more than just strictly evangelism. So uh, when you're doing evangelism, you're actually sharing the gospel. Um, there are many different forms of it, street ministry, uh, um, you know, handing out tracts, um, friendship evangelism, conversational evangelism, things like that. So those are some of the different forms of it. Um, but I think that the key in evangelism is um, not so much what form you're using, but uh, what you say and how you say it. And that those are the keys to successful evangelism. God can use any method uh, you know, that we use, uh, but he does call us to do it in a certain way. That's a key thing, too. It's uh, the fact that the gospel never changes, but a lot of times how we uh, present the gospel changes. And so um, there's talk of, you know, contextualization. So it depends on, you know, how I engage with the people that I surround myself with is going to be different than, you know, somebody else. And so it's really cool to see how God uses different people in different situations and scenarios. Um, and, you know, lack of a term, people groups um, in order to make the gospel known. Um, and so it's just, again, knowing you know, the gospel obviously is, is key, uh, but then how do you relate that to the people that, that are around, around you is key as well. Yeah. And you're, yeah, the, you know, the word evangelism comes from the same words gospel and, you know, sharing the gospel. Um, we, we sometimes um, reduce that to a, to a formula or a, something that fits on a card or a tract. And that's, that's not bad, but the gospel is so much more than that. So much more expansive. And, um, you know, the gospel is about Jesus and all the, all of creation and history points to Jesus. So there's a sense that it all, you know, that we can enter into evangelism or witnessing or, you know, from so many angles, um, God's very creative. Um, you know, it's, it's my conviction. We, we don't have to force it. We don't have to, um, certainly don't need to be pushy um, or offensive. Uh, we need to be honest. We need to be true. We need to be clear. Um, but we don't even necessarily have to worry about getting it all done, you know, in one shot. I think that's, you know, oh, if I don't make the, you know, try to close the deal, you know, mm -hmm. if I don't get to that point, I haven't done it. You know, uh, I've said this before, First Corinthians talks about, you know, the apostles were saying some water or, or some plant, some water, God, God gives the harvest. Now, sometimes we try to just forget that God's doing that part and really he's involved in the whole thing. But, you know, one thing you got there is God really is the one who does close the deal, not us. He might use us. He might not. Um, but, you know, I'm no horticulturalist, but I know enough about plants to know that 
some plants you water just a few times. You plant it once. I mean, I don't know too many plants you uproot, you know, try to clean up and plant again, you know, maybe possible, I guess. Probably not a good idea. And I don't think it's necessary, certainly with the gospel. You know, you might be planting once. More often, you're probably going to be watering. You might be watering a, you know, what amounts to a blade of grass, or you might be watering an oak. And you don't know when, you know, that, you don't know how many times it's going to water. And it's not really your, not really for you to worry about. Um, and hopefully that takes pressure off us because evangelism isn't closing the deal. Evangelism is about the gospel. It's not about, it's really not about you or them. It's about Jesus. Yeah. I just want to highlight real quick too. I really love the emphasis on not only is, you know, evangelism out and saying what's right, but also how you say it. And I think a lot of college students go into it thinking, I just need to go in and tell them the facts and everything will work out. And it's like, um, we've seen instances where like their street, like the Turner burn preachers where they are basically saying, you know, if you don't believe you're going to hell. And mm -hmm. even if that is necessarily has aspects of truth, no one in their like right mind is going to find that attractive. Right. And so actually saying it in a way, um, maintaining truth while you do it, but saying it in a way um, that is, you know, respectful and, and right in, in that situation as well, I think is really great. And I'm really glad that it was, it was emphasized. I think a lot of people sometimes don't necessarily understand that. I've heard it said, and I think it's probably true that, you know, what you're converted by is what you're converted to. So if you're converting by a, you know, screaming, yelling, turn or burn that might just by accident have the gospel in there or it's so buried under judgment, you're probably just making someone twice the son of hell as you are um, and calling that a Christian. Or, you know, if people are, you know, pick anything, you know, you can go from that extreme right to the extreme left. And it's like, we're all gonna, you know, fight for social justice. And that's what led me to my faith. Well, that might be okay, assuming the gospel is actually in there in the center. But so often we attach other things to the gospel, attach other things to Jesus. And um, I, I think it was, uh, I think C.S. Lewis wrote about this, about the danger of, of Jesus and, or Christianity and attaching it to um, other things, good, bad, or otherwise, uh, they can become idolatrous. I think, yeah, I think it was in mere Christianity who said that. So he's a smart guy. Well, and also in scripture, it's like we're told to be prepared in season and out of season, you know, to 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 be ready to give the hope, you know, that we have for the reasons for the hope that we have. And so whether it's, you know, on a street corner or, you know, meeting someone at lunch, you know, or, or just whatever, or, or just some friend you're meeting with, um, just to obviously be prepared to A, know the gospel, and then B, just to, to lovingly, you know, know how to share it. Um, I always like... Um, this quote I'm going to read from uh, uh, the atheist Penn Jillette, you know, because he he was he was all against you know people who share their faith proselytizing and like oh these they're kind of jerks this that and the other, but what he said was is really convicting. He he said if you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, 
and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. This is the key. It says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And so just the conviction there of, man, if we've got the answers as believers and, you know, we have someone that, you know, you know, if they could get hit by a bus in the next five minutes or whatever, um, how much do we have to not love them <laughs> to tell them the truth? Um, and, and it's the whole thing of truth and love, because, you know, I think so much today it gets watered down. And I think the truth part kind of gets, you know, swept, you know, under a little bit versus, okay, let's, let's love people enough to tell them the truth. Um, but do it in a loving way. Um, Cause like Bob said, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've even had discussions while tabling with um, atheists that have come up to our table and they're like, yeah, that, that stupid street preacher at IUPUI is always, you know, yelling and screaming and blah, 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 you know, but yet they come to our table and it's like, I mean, we're not going to, you know, capitulate on what we believe, but at the same time, it's like, I think we're having conversations that maybe they've never had before uh, with believers versus someone, you know, you're going hell, you know, you know, and obviously that's not the intent, um, mm-hmm. but, but loving them enough to, to tell them the truth, but again, truth and love. Yeah. Look how Jesus did it. Look how Paul did it, you know, and, um, and look at the context, you know, he did street preaching, I guess you'd call it, but it was in the context of forums where that was normal and expected. Uh, doesn't mean that what that doing something like that uh, isn't, possibly a good idea um i've known maybe one or two people ever who i thought were pretty good at it um and for them that might be right for me it would be a disaster um and it would i'd I'd probably bring shame to the gospel uh with all my good intentions um you know little golden rule hard to beat that you know treat others the way you want to be treated how do you want people? How would you want people to approach you? If you're approaching people in a way that you don't like to be approached, um, you know, God might use it, but I kind of think it's dishonoring and dishonest. Um, you know, I've known some people who are very gifted and can could say something in a setting. I, I worked with a guy who, you know, solid believer, and he could ask his boss, our boss, our supervisor you know, kind of before we opened, you know, about what she thought about Jesus and I'm listening to him and it's like, God, shut up. But he, he did, he wasn't offensive. He wasn't, it was received because God was using that spirit was working through him. I could have said the same words and probably got fired in the same tone. Now, keep in mind, obviously, we're now in a day and age where everything's now offensive. And and the fact of the matter is, uh, the gospel, if you really dig deep, I mean, it's an offensive thing. I mean, especially when you get to the heaven and hell thing and just and Jesus saying, I'm the only way. Um, But there again, it's like we have to make a choice. Okay, are we trying to please man or trying to please God? Uh, But even as we please God, like Bob said, you know, we don't have to be a jerk about it. Um, you know, we do our part and we, we bring to the table, what God, you know, what, what would, you know, our loaves and fishes to, to the Lord and say, you know, take and use what little I have and, uh, 
do what you're only going to do. And because um, I think so many times, you know, kind of like Bob said, it's like, you know, we want to control the situation. We want to, we're under the pressure of, oh my gosh, we're going to close the deal when, you know, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be, um, you know, taking the gospel and putting it out there in a way that people can understand it. Um, and then, you know, letting God do the rest because, you know, yeah. we, we can't news, save anybody. Our salesmanship. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. Thank you guys. So that, that conversation, like those answers were pretty general, which is awesome. I, I appreciate that speaking to what evangelism looks like as a, as a, as a um, whole. So now to speak specifically to like IUPUI students, like if we go to lecture hall right now on the boards, there are like posters that, Hey, the Quran reading club is meeting at two o'clock on Tuesday. And there, there's tarot card readings um, on Thursday night. Um, and I mean, I remember living in tower and they were doing like tarot card readings. Um, like she just invited the floor, whoever wanted to come. And so how should a Christian a like approach that for themselves? Like, should they try and even think about involving themselves in something like that? Um, and B, how should a Christian respond to other people involving? Like, should we actively discourage student involvement or should we passively say, hey, no, I'm not going to go to that because I have ratio Christie or because I have like my CSF life group or and then invite the person there or some mix of the two. I mean, should we pick it outside of the meeting hall? Like what what do you what do you think is the proper Christian response to like an actively anti-Christian organization and students? Yeah. Again, how do you want to be treated? Um, you know, because I mean, if we were to, and I'm not saying this is never the case, if we were to actively pick it or try to get things shut down in a in a public forum, uh, that's a sword that we're going to die on probably faster than they will, for one. Uh, it's the techniques that are used in in hostile countries, you know, you know, in a lot of Muslim countries and in China and elsewhere. Um, so if we're starting to use those tactics, um, those are the enemy's tactics, not those of Christ. We don't need to be afraid of the lies. Um, now, something like tarot cards, I would say there's probably never a good situation where we would be involving ourselves, a Christian involving themselves in occult practice. Um, I think that's probably more than a general rule. Um, but something else like, like the Quran, I mean, I've, I mean, I teach a class where I have them read the Quran. <laughs> um, and and that, that, that could be different. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say a new or immature believer ought to do that. I don't think it's necessarily a sin. It might be unwise. It may be improper for that situation. But someone else, it might be perfectly fine. Um, and even, I mean, very good, actually. Um, I don't think we have to be afraid of it. Um, but again, there are certain people that, you know, just, just from a place of wisdom, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh yeah, go read the satanic Bible or something. It's actually pretty boring, but, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, we want to be about the truth. And again, if we're sharing the gospel. Um, yeah. There's, 
there's something to be said for engaging other people's worldviews if for no other reason that we want do not want to bear false witness against them when we challenge. So it's like I've I've read the Quran. I don't necessarily understand it all, and I I don't know Arabic, so I don't really read it. I guess, uh, but that's meaningful to people. It's like you, you made the effort, and you're seeking to understand, and that that might get you some hearings. Um, I'm not saying it's necessary, but it's the sort of thing I would do, but I wouldn't necessarily expect someone else to do it. But then again, some people will and should. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, and this is where I mean for all of these these topics and questions, you know, mileage is going to vary um, between probably the five of us here, uh, let alone, you know, Christianity as a whole. And so, I mean, a lot of this stuff we could talk for hours and, and have various debates in this. Thing. I mean, and, and there's going to be things where, you know, I might not necessarily agree, agree with Bob or Andy or they with me, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, are we being faithful to the word of God? Um, you know, because scripture reminds us that uh, where to take the gospel? It says go into all the world. It doesn't say go into some of the world, only the comfortable parts of the world. It says to go into all the world. Now, does that mean, you know, oh, I'm going to jump into the tarot card reading, or I'm going to go, you know, get involved with this, that, and the other? Because, you know, obviously we have to guard our hearts and minds. Um, one of my previous pastors, and and I get what you're saying because he's he's like, if I take a white glove and I put this white glove in the dirt. Um, the white glove is going to get dirty. Very rarely will the, will the dirt get glovey. And I, I see where he's going with that because it's like at the end of the day, who's being influenced more, you know? And so we have to be very careful. You know, it says, scripture says we're supposed to be, you know, as cunning as serpents, but wise, you know, wise as doves. Um, and so we have to, you know, at the end of the day, who's influencing whom? Because, you know, at the end of the day, whether, you know, whatever group you're a part of, you know, outside of a, of a Christian group, there's going to be non-believers in those groups, whether it's the chess group or, or a club you know, or, or whatever it is, the math group or whatever. And so just, again, being um, willing to, to speak into the people in, in those contexts and in those groups um, and not be afraid of that. But like Bob said, also, too, it's like we also have to be careful um, with what we're being influenced by as well. Um, because that's where the enemy, you know, tends to can get in and, you know, oh, start putting doubts in, into us. And, and, uh, and so that's, that's obviously something we have to be prayerful about and, uh, and be discerning on as well. So. I don't have much to add to what you guys have said. Um, we should actively promote our, our own groups um, and other Christian groups, uh, good, solid Christian groups. Uh, and we should recognize that other groups, uh, even those that oppose us, have the right to be on campus, just like we do. And um, But if you're going to play the game of, um, I'm going to go to uh, another group uh, in order to convert them, um, you better be grounded <laughs> in uh, the kinds of pushback you're going to get, because you are going to get pushback. So you need to know your stuff before you go in. You need to have a, a group. In fact, I would say also don't uh, don't go alone necessarily. Mm -hmm. Have other people that you can even if even if they're not coming with you, have have a, a pool of, of other believers you can appeal to to help you um, in the challenges. Yeah. That would be my. I think that, 
that's especially important. I think, um, I know I can, I've got two things coming to mind here. Um, one specific and one that's more general specifically back when I worked for another campus ministry, like over a decade ago, I had one of our student leaders who was well, well established and well grounded. And she called me and said, uh, there's this gay lesbian party thing going on. I mean, not something really weird. Okay. Uh, but something that was, uh, you know, and she was invited by some friends to be part of this. I mean, she, they would have known who she is and her convictions. Um, and she called me and said, do you think it's, a, I think it's okay if I go? <laughs> I think I may have told her, it's like, I don't think it's okay if you don't go. You know, uh, Jesus, you know, ate and partied with tax collectors and sinners. Um, he didn't ask unbelievers to act like believers. He wasn't looking for moral reformation uh, before, you know, regeneration of the heart, because that's, that's what he was busy opposing, actually. Um, so in that situation, and with her, that was a, that was a God thing. Now, someone who's not mature or, or unwise with their tongue um, or the attitude or pushy, say, you might want to stay away from that sort of situation because you're going to, well, you're going you're gonna to be an embarrassment. <laughs> yeah, not, I'm hopefully would say it a little more tactfully, but probably not. Um, and then something like with the, For instance, you may get invited to a uh, an iftar, an iftar meal uh, during Ramadan someday. Go, food's great. It won't be weird. <laughs> uh, but some people are afraid. It's like, oh, am I participating in some some weird uh, religious thing? No, they're not going to. Well, I, it's very unlikely they're going to put you in a weird position it's hospitality and, and it's actually an honor to be invited to something like that. Um, you know, for most people, I, I, I would have a hard time thinking of a situation where I'd say, don't go unless again, someone's likely to be a jerk. Um, well, and also too, it's like, it also depends on your own convictions as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so pray about the situation, pray, you know, because, you know, what's, what's a conviction for one person might not necessarily be for somebody else, you know, in the same vein of, um, okay, well, someone might get tempted in this and someone might not. Um, one other thing I wanted to say, too, is just from a, a personal standpoint is when you're, what, and this is more for the students, obviously, um, for them to really, you know, invest in the relationships with other students. Because, I mean, people can smell someone who's kind of, you know, oh, you're being, you know, I'm not your project. <laughs> you know, I'm just joining this group to, to infiltrate and to, and to, you know, have you be my project. Versus, hey, these people really care enough to, to you know, maybe we have a difference in opinion and debate and, you know, we want to kick around the issues. But, you know, I'm not just their project, you know. And, I mean, I, I think of, I mean, we've got a couple of atheist students in our group that, you know, I mean, we're not treating them like, you know, they're our project. I mean, they're, they actually enjoy coming to our group and, and, and kicking around all these different, you know, topics and debates and, and just getting answers and what have you. Um, but there's a relationship there. 
you know, it's not just, okay, well, you know, here are the, here are the little atheists over here. We're going to, you know, mm-hmm. pat them on the head and, you know, because people can spell that, you know, be real with people, love mm-hmm. people, um, you know, and just, you know, like Andy said too, it's like, you know, be prepared um, to know what you believe and why and how to, how to present that in a way that's going to, um, you know, draw people in. So. Yeah. And I just want to say real quick too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Michael. (laughs) I was just going to quickly say that I love the emphasis too, on especially what Bob said about not fearing um, other beliefs or other religions and stuff, knowing that we have truth on our side. Um, And I think also being able to engage with people that we don't agree with or people that believe different things in a way that Will was saying that's loving, that's caring, can actually show them a side of Christianity that they might not know of. Like, I think a lot of atheists and people who don't believe in Christianity oftentimes get this perception of Christianity as this a bunch of holier than thou individuals that judge everyone that they interact with. And so you being that person that goes out of your way to interact with them um, and maybe like, again, build that relationship and show that you're ready to be there for them and give them a different glimpse of Christianity while you're not necessarily like backing down on, on truth. Right. But you're showing them a side that's loving, right. And showing them that you're willing to engage with them. Um, I think that can show people whatever side of Christianity and, and open the door for that relationship to start building where you can begin to discuss Christianity and, and do it in a way that, again, it's not like project-based because I agree hundred percent with Will. I think it's pretty easy sometimes to feel like you're a project. If someone comes in with necessarily the wrong tax or the wrong, you know, things to do. And I think that goes along also with mileage and being confident in their, your faith and knowing what the right things to say. But I think that's so oftentimes um, missed. I think I know a lot of um, peers that are like, have asked me the similar questions and have um, asked our campus minister about, you know, um, should I be friends with this person? Should I go to this event? Like, should I even interact with them? And it's like, it's our mission field, right? And the best way to, you know, engage with them is to meet them kind of where they're at and hold firm to truth, but love them in the same way too. And that can build that relationship. And you'll make mistakes. And it's better to make it. I think it's better to make mistakes from a place of faith than to avoid them from a sense of fear. Um, You know, just be, be gentle and be, be bold. What's worse. That's going to happen. I'm going to say too, real quick. I know Andy, you got something you were going to say too. Also, don't be afraid to not have all the answers. Cause I think so many times we want to, you know, go into these conversations, you know, Oh, I've got to have all the answers. I, I have to be able to answer the Muslim on X, Y, and Z. That's very hard. I mean, cause you know, we might not have all the answers, you know, even, even, you know, I mean, scripture tells us God's ways are higher than our ways. We're not going to have all the answers. I mean, we obviously know the one who does and we want to steer people to Jesus and to God's word. Um, but it's okay to say, Hey, look, I'm not really sure about that. You know, you bring up some good points, you know, let me, and then, and then, you know, being willing to say, look, Hey, can we maybe do some more homework and meet again next week? And so you're showing an interest in engaging and furthering the dialogue and not just giving a flip answer, you know, that's going to be kind of like, eh, that's kind of wishy-washy. It didn't really answer my question. Um, but being, being honest enough to say, look, I, I may not know, you know, and we might not have that answer scripturally even. Um, and I think people respect that. So. I think it's probably better than having the answer a lot of times. Um, Cause even if I have the answer, 
I probably don't have it in my head in a way that is is clear that I'm going to be that I'm going to be able to speak it with the clarity and conviction at that moment. I'm not one of those apologist types, you know. I'm I'm much more absent-minded. Um, like I might say, I think I kind of know the answer, but I really want to give it to you. Right? Can we talk again? We're honoring the question, taking it seriously, and we're kind of finding out whether they're serious because if they don't want to meet again, uh, they were just, well, I don't know. They, they may have just been ink in your chain, but if they are, if God is at work, you know, like I said, you don't have to close the deal right there. Yeah. And you yeah. can tell too, I mean, if people are just, you know, coming back with circular arguments that, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you're looking more just to debate and just kind of be a troll versus hey, you're actually seeking truth. Um, you, you can tell that pretty quick. So, yeah. Be curious, Christian. Just be curious about people. You know, it, it shows them you really care about them. It, again, you're, that they're not a project. But I, if you're just curious about who people really are and what they really hold dear, uh, it's going to open up a lot of opportunities for conversation. You know, and, and you just ask questions and listen to them. You know, how have your beliefs changed since you got on campus, you know, or since high school, something like that. I mean, something as simple as that can open the door to you then being able to talk about your beliefs and, and how they, uh, you know, what you believe. Um, but it gives you a chance to get to know that person. And, and that's building relationship. I might be jumping ahead because um, I know at one point we're talking about different resources, but this is, and we might have brought this up before. This is an awesome book called Tactics by Greg Kogel. Um, it's a great book just talking about, you know, different, different tactics to use when you're engaging with people. Uh, but primarily it's like, how can you ask better questions? How can you engage well with people? And, uh, and maybe not have all the answers, but leave a stone, leave a pebble in their shoe that they're going to have to wrestle with. And so you know, just learning how to better do that. And that's one thing, I mean, for me personally, it's like, I love tabling because every time we table, you know, we're kind of asking an engaging question and, and somewhat of a provocative question too. Um, and it really gets people thinking. And so you're asking those questions that maybe people are kind of, you know, shying away from, but it's like, you know, but then you're kind of engaging and dialoguing and asking further questions. Well, what did you mean by that? Or how did you come to that conclusion? And getting them to think about a little bit about why they answered, you know, because I, I remember one time we, we had a question. It was like, do you believe in absolute truth? And this one person was like, I don't believe in absolute truth. And then, you know, well, do you realize you just made an absolute statement? And then, you know, we brought up some other topic about an absolute and like, oh, crud. <laughs> and so, again, getting them to think a little bit about, well, why did you say that? You know, how did you come to that conclusion? And uh, just again, but it's, you know, little tactics like that to, to get people to think and, and, and for us to be prepared to engage better and, and more proactively. Um, yeah, so, so now would be a good time to move into that question of like students who either have questions of their own that they're struggling with, or like they had a conversation with a friend, friend brought up like, some random fact, science fact, or something that they just didn't know how to answer. And obviously that shuts down conversation when we can't just give an answer. And so what would you say is a good, like a series of resources, your favorite books, your favorite people to listen to or read that 
you would recommend the IUPUI students listening, like, hey, if you have a question, maybe it can be as specific as if you have a science question, like I know this guy who was, who does a lot of like science stuff, or I have a philosophy guy that I like listening to, or what, what would you guys recommend for students either trying to answer their own questions or trying to figure out how to be ready to answer questions of others? Uh, that's a great, great question. Um, there's actually a, a website called gotquestions.org. Uh, phenomenal resource. I mean, just thousands and thousands of you know, questions and answers from a biblical standpoint. Um, there's also a you know, shameless plug for rashokristi.org. Uh, we actually have uh, these, e- these are actually books that are free downloadable ebooks. You know, I mean, I only have a couple here, but like, is Jesus God? Did he arise from the dead? You know, what if Christianity is true? I mean, there's about 13 or 14 eBooks that people can download free from the Rosh Christie website under resources. Um, so there's that. Um, again, the tactics book is a great resource as well. Um, and that's standard reason is the standard reason. Yeah. Standard uh, reason. And uh, yeah, there, there's stuff. I think is some of the, the top, not top notch and, accessible and um, it's becoming probably one of my more favorite, you know, places to go. At the risk of a shameless plug, um, uh, one of those booklets that Will held up, uh, I will have authored, I've authored it, but it's still in the editing stage. So it's not available on Mm. the Horatio Christie website yet, but it soon will be. And the reason I bring it up is because it is all about tactics and evangelism how to have spiritual dialogues um, more specifically, uh, kinds of questions to ask and, and different things you can do in a spiritual conversation if you feel like you're losing control of the conversation or things like that. And so that could be a helpful resource for you. And uh, at the risk of further <laughs> a shameless plug, uh, rciupui.org. Um, please feel like you can reach out to us mm-hmm. and ask those questions. That's why we're here on campus. Yeah. And we got yeah. resources on that website there too. Uh, yeah. Both from our standpoint, as well as uh, links to the national website too. So. Yeah. Please use us. That's what we get paid the big bucks for. We can answer it in an email or we can sit we down, get paid, down wait. Topic, you know, so whatever, whatever works for you. Well, we're not getting royalty checks like Andy will soon. <laughs> That's true. Donut, baby. The big donut. Yeah. Yeah. You might get a donut. <laughs> so adding on. Oh, sorry. Um, so adding on to that, like, what are some red flags that like if a student like, oh, I have an interesting question, types it in on Google. What are some red flags that can be watching for that? Like they're reading some long blog post or something of someone trying to answer the question. What are what are some like key things that like hey, this guy probably doesn't know what they're talking about, or this guy is just like proselytizing another view or whatever it may be. Like how, how can a student be a bit judicious about what they read? Well, the website's like a GeoCities from 1997, uh, you know, with a bunch of flashing things, probably no good. Uh, uh, but no, seriously, I, it, you kind of get that feel, you know, you know, sometimes hard to tell, but uh, kind of got to go with that gut. I think a lot of times if they are so, you know, adamant about their point and so opinionated, 
there's a like there's a likelier chance that they are somewhat out of balance in their their thinking. They might just be a self-proclaimed crazy person, uh, or they could be someone who um, is just kind of speaking out of their lane, but might be might be really smart in other things. So, you know, a lot of Christians will, you know, who aren't an expert in one field, you know, speaking authoritatively on every other field. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's risky. You know, it can be done humbly and with, and from a sense of, uh, you know, of trying to stay kind of like, I understand I don't know everything, but what I do know, what I do understand, I have these questions. Um, but, you know, look for the hobby horses. You know, if it comes across as arrogant or, or um, conspiratorial, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a yellow flag at least, if not a red flag. Obviously, I mean, get back gets back to the bible i mean yeah and anybody can throw a scripture and, and kind of make it say what what they want but at the same time it's like like bob said if, if someone's taking a scripture and then you know they're kind of way out there with some you know rationale on that or whatever it's like well i'm not sure god's word really says that and so you always want to you know back up you know what they're saying you know especially when if it's from an opinion standpoint Versus, okay, here's what God's word actually says and being willing to, to dive into, you know, what it actually says and means and, um, you know, versus, you know, someone's opinion. I mean, and again, you know, whether it's, you know, William Lane Craig or somebody else, it's like, you know, you always want to take what they're saying and, okay, well, how does scripture affirm that? Or, you know, well, scripture says something a whole bunch you know, a whole lot different than what you're saying there. So obviously there's a red flag there. Um, you know, if someone's saying, you know, you should go stone, you know, this person over there, it's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> First of all, context. Um, and then, you know, you know, just kind of being aware of those kind of red flags. Um, and and I think it, and, and, and it's also too, I mean, it's like, we're never stop, never stop learning. I mean, and that's where it's important to get um, people and resources around you that can, that can kind of build in um, some solid, you know, mm -hmm. teaching um, versus, I mean, cause yeah, the, the internet, while it's good, it's also very dangerous and, you know, you could read something that sounds really nice and, you know, I mean, even nice yeah. and loving, but then it's like, okay, well, it's actually unbiblical. Um, you know, even from a, you know, oh, this religious person said X, Y, or Z. Oh, that sounds so great. Well, that's not really biblical. So. You see the fruit of the spirit, I think, is a big one. You know, if you don't, if you're not seeing that, you know, it, you know, you can't really, you know, this was one of the questions you gave us about truth and love. It's like, I don't think you can separate those and have either remain. So if people are not speaking the truth in love, uh, then even if what they're saying is true, I, I, I'm starting to trust. <laughs> um, does that make sense? And, and kind of vice versa. One of my favorite discerning tools, uh, particularly in recent years, um, is 
to ask what the other side thinks about it. So if I'm looking, uh, if I'm researching something on the internet or whatever, I've got a question and I'm asking, uh, I wanna know then what does somebody who disagrees with that view say about it? What's their take? And that helps me weigh uh, the, the two sides. And by the way, uh, that's actually a fantastic tactic when you're having spiritual dialogues with people. Uh, when they start uh, lobbing bombs against the Christian faith, uh, a great question to ask them is, what do people who disagree with you think about that issue? And you'll find out really fast if they really know what they're talking about and if they've done their homework or not. So that's actually a <laughs> tactic in spiritual dialogue, too. What do people who disagree believe about the issue? That can help you discern. I also, yeah. too, real quickly, sorry, Ben. Um, I just want to highlight what Will said about context, too. I think one way that I found this to be really helpful for me in my own personal life is knowing the Bible beyond just face value. Because like Will said, you can take a verse and if it's out of context, people can take that in totally the wrong way. Right. And so actually knowing the Bible deeper than just what the verse might be, but what's going on in that setting, in that context, in that culture, and really just knowing the Bible in that way, I think can be so helpful in, you know, discerning truth in the outside world. And so literally, and, that, and that's on you. I mean, that just takes you opening your Bible and reading it thoroughly and paying attention and understanding the culture. And uh, maybe again, doing some research about the culture too, in general. But again, I think just diving into it and understanding that cultural context can be so helpful um, in actually discerning, you know, what is truth and what isn't, you know. And there's also a culture that we're, subcultures that we may not be aware of when we're entering into something online. So you could pick a you know certain debates between Christians on on YouTube, and you think they hate each other, and the reality is they probably don't. But they understand that the debate is not personal. They they probably finish it and go out afterwards and have dinner together, you know, and and love one another and support and pray for each other and would commend their ministry, even though they don't agree on everything, but. If you don't know the context, it can look a lot angrier or a lot more, a lot more vicious than it ever was or is. Uh, so it's very easy to be misled. So, you know, what you're saying about looking at different sides there, Andy, that, that's good. I like that. Yeah, awesome. So that wraps up our questions about evangelism and uh, in the context of a university in general. So now we'll all, uh, I'll turn it over to Michael and we'll get to the, get to the fun questions, huh? The, uh, the more apologetics uh, theology versus uh, or theology questions that, that um, have been sent in or, or we've uh, felt have come up enough amongst uh, students. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Thanks Ben. And um Again, thanks, guys. I think that first section went really well. So I'm excited to see where this second half of our conversation takes us for sure. Um, I think the first question um, that I'm going to address and something that I've heard quite a bit is just has to do with the accuracy of Scripture, um, just with how long the Bible has been around and the time lapse in between that. I've heard a lot of arguments where it's like, you know, there's no way the Bible can maintain its consistency, its accuracy over that long period of time 
beyond languages, right? The language barriers trying to translate when some words don't even exist in different languages and stuff. And then there's also that telephone factor, right? Where you say one word to someone else and then that gets passed on and the understanding gets changed over long periods of time. So I think the one question is just how can we as Christians be confident that what we are reading in today's Bibles are true, right? In comparison to when it was written way back when. Mm-hmm. Several ways. <laughs> I'm, Andy, this is probably more your field, but, you know, it just occurred to me that, you know, all the Bibles that we we have pretty much working from, they're, they're all getting the information from the same places, the same stack of original sources. Uh, others being added in, you know, just saying, oh, yeah, it matches these two. <laughs> so it's it's not like we have this 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 glob of amorphous texts out there that's always changing no it's the same stuff that same stuff that the king james has translated is was also used last week probably for another bible translation yeah we, we've got um the way historians do it the way they, they determine you know how how historically reliable is a document is they take the copies that we have um, and they compare them to each other. And, and they ask questions as well, you know, you know, like, okay, we have this copy and, and how close does it date to the original? Um, you know, is it 500 years after it was originally written? And, you know, legend can creep in and things like that, or is it earlier? Well, in the case of the, the Bible, in the case of the New Testament specifically, for example, we've got fantastic manuscript evidence. We have thousands of manuscripts, literally, before the time of the printing press. We're talking about hand-copied manuscripts uh, down through the centuries. And we scholars can compare those and say, you know, is what we have now an accurate representation of uh, what, was, uh, what was originally written? And uh, there's wide agreement among New Testament scholarship on that, that uh, the Bible we have now is an accurate reflection of what we had then. They may argue about uh, certain things like, uh, you know, words that, you know, get flipped around a little bit in a sentence or, you know, slips of the pen or little things, but no doctrinal issues. Um, So uh, one text might say, Jesus Christ loves John. And the next text they look at might say, Christ Jesus loves John. And then and they say, okay, did the original say Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus? We're not 100% sure. But do we know what it means? Yes. You know, does it change doctrine? No. Uh, and so uh, there's very little uh, in the manuscripts that is in any doubt really about what it says and, uh, by scholars. And I'm talking including liberal scholars. Uh, so we can have great confidence uh, just from the manuscript evidence uh, that uh, the Bible we have today is an accurate reflection. And it's, it's, we have early copies too. We have copies, a, a fragment of the copy of John that dates to within 25 years of when he originally authored. Um, and we've got a copy, a little fragment of it uh, that was found in Egypt. Uh, within 25 years of when it's believed John wrote. That's, in, that's unbelievable in terms of historical evidence. That's, that's fantastic. So New Testament fares better than any other ancient manuscript uh, in terms of its manuscript evidence. So if you're going to say, I don't trust the New Testament because of manuscript reasons, 
then you just wiped out all of ancient history because we got better evidence for that than we do for Alexander the Great or Caesar or anybody else. <laughs> so it's very strong. And you can look beyond manuscript evidence for that matter. Um, you, you, can, you can compare what the early church fathers or what the early church fathers quoted from or alluded to, you know, uh, various passages, various New Testament passages or, or biblical passages. So even apart from all the copies that we have, the manuscript copies of the Bible itself, you can take the church fathers' writings and say, we can reconstruct most of the New Testament just because they quoted from it so much. Uh, so we've got lots of different ways uh, to put it together. And, and, uh, and so we can have great confidence in what we've got. And I think at awesome. the end of the day, it gets back to, it's a matter of faith. I mean, you know, are we going to trust like Andy said, it's like something that we actually have manuscripts that, that further back up, you know, the text versus some other, you know, you know, past, you know, books, ancient books that we don't have as much, you know, text, you know, backup from. And so, you know. It's faith, but it, it's faith in that, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't know that Jesus died for my sins uh, from a historical uh, argument, so, so to speak. I can know that he died. I can know that he died on the cross. I can know that what the New Testament says historically matches the historical evidence. And then it's a theological move to say, well, that death was for my sins, right? Um, so, uh, but it's faith uh, that is in accordance with uh, evidence. So, uh, you know, critics used to argue things like, uh, the Bible made up so many different things. It made up uh, the Hittite nation. It talks about them. And there, we don't have any evidence outside the Bible for the Hittite nation. So there probably was no Hittite nation. And then archaeologists went out and dug and they found an entire Hittite library in modern day Turkey. And the critics went, okay, well, there certainly was no Pontius Pilate. I mean, that's just somebody that the New Testament made up. Well, and then then archaeologists found carvings with Pontius Pilate mentioned in it. And they went, okay, well, maybe so. But there certainly wasn't crucifixion the way the Bible describes it, where they nailed them to the cross. They probably tied them to the cross. They certainly didn't do anything so graphic as to nail them to the cross. And then archaeology found a first century crucifixion victim with the spike still in the bone of his foot. And the critics went, okay. Maybe the biblical description is pretty good, actually, you know. So uh, those are the kinds of things, uh, you know, historically, we, we can pull from things like archaeology as well as looking at the manuscript evidence to say that these fit. It fits the picture that the New Testament paints. These New Testament writers clearly knew the times. They knew the region. They knew the culture. Uh, they weren't around much, much later. They would have gotten way too many things wrong. They understood what Jerusalem looked like before it was destroyed in AD 70. There's too many descriptions in John that match it. So we can we can look at things like that and uh, come away from the Bible and say, these guys knew what they were talking about. They, they got it right in everything we can test. I feel awesome. like I came on a soapbox, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. I think that Amen. was laid out really beautifully. And I kind of going off of this, um, Andy, you even mentioned the different thousands and thousands of manuscripts of evidence that we found. 
that kind of can show the, you know, historical accuracy of the Bible. Um, I think the next question that kind of got posed was, why are only certain documents implemented into the Bible? So for, for example, like why in the Protestant Bible that we oftentimes, you know, um, utilize, why are those specific books you know, seemed as like better than some of the other ones. Like there's books like Enoch that were left out or, you know, there's stuff like the Torah has a different reading or differences in the Old Testament, right? So like, what are, what is so special about the specific books that we have in our Bible when there is so many different, you know, documents and evidence that is out there, right? What separates these? Well, the, uh, the you know, the, one of the common misconceptions about the New Testament, for example, uh, is that, well, the canon was just uh, decided, you know, in the 300s, uh, way after the fact. And, and until then, we didn't really even know what, what was scripture and what wasn't in the New Testament. And uh, I, I don't think that's an accurate uh, understanding at all uh, of history. It's true that the canon was, was formalized in the 300s. Uh, but people, the people of God at the time, the text was written, accepted it as scripture. Um, so you had the, the people of God uh, were accepting it. You also have that it's written by a prophet of God. There's these certain tests, you see, that it had to pass. Uh, the text had to be able to pass in order to be considered scriptural. It had to be written by a prophet or apostle of God or somebody connected with them. Uh, it had to be accepted by the people of God. It had to come with the power of God, right? Does it predict things that uh, we see are coming true? Uh, is there, is there prophecy involved? Does it, uh, does it have some kind of power of God to it? Uh, and does it tell the truth of God? Does it conflict with a previous revelation? If it does, it's out. So, um, so it was accepted then uh, at the time in, say, the first century, we're talking about the New Testament. Um, and then there was some discussion later uh, because uh, not everybody got every single text spread throughout the uh, you know, all the empire, as it were. Um, so they had to discuss those sort of things and kind of nail down. Yes, this one we can trace back to so-and-so. Yes, this, this one has been accepted all along and others haven't. Um, why did some of the, um, some of the things like the Apocrypha, for example, not, not get in there until much later in the case of the Roman Catholic Church accepting the Apocrypha? Um, it wasn't accepted uh, universally by the people of God at the time. It didn't pass one of those tests. Uh, it contradicts other uh, uh, scripture, uh, like it, it argues for salvation by works, which is a contradiction, say, uh, something like Ephesians or other, many other places. Um, so it didn't pass those tests. Um, why did it finally get in? Uh, by, why did the church, a Roman Catholic church, finally accept it? Um, my own view is that it's a, it's a polemic response to Luther and the Protestant Reformation, uh, which is why it's accepted 1,500 years after it was written. Uh, rather so, than a lot, yeah. so a lot of these books aren't scriptural, but there's not, they're not bad. Um, That's you know, the, the Apocrypha is full of a lot of wisdom and a lot of, you know, it's okay to be blessed by it. Uh, it's not scripture, but neither, neither are any, most of these books, a couple are, uh, but I'm blessed by a lot of them. They're useful. They're edifying. Um, doesn't mean they have to be scripture. Um, and, 
you know, and I mean, and of course there was some stuff that was problematic, um, but uh, you know, like take the Apocrypha, for instance. I mean, bottom line, it was not recognized by uh, by the by the Hebrews as scripture. You know, it it it, it was fine. It was recognized. It was it probably had some authority. It was probably used, but it wasn't viewed as part of the Torah. Um, so, you know, we Christians basically took the lead of, you know, God's people, you know, God's covenant community uh, prior to the New Testament and went with that for the most part. Um, so something like that, again, it's not because it's bad necessarily, but it's just not the Bible. And it's not conspiracies either. That's way too much work. And no one had enough power, you know, <laughs> you know, to pull that off anyway. Yeah, again, great stuff. Really appreciate the insight. Um, our next question, I think, is really interesting. I've never actually heard this question posed to anyone before. I think this was a submission by our student, but it has to do with the creation of angels. And I think this is just a really interesting topic that mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on. But um, the question was posed as to the purpose of angels. If God is all powerful, what is the need of angels, right? And we have the Holy Spirit, um, and that could be more New Testament, but just what even is the purpose and why God decided to create angels in the first place? I, I spent a bit of time on this, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk. <laughs> You're going to wing it. I'm going to, no, I'm going to, I actually, I actually wrote some stuff down. It might actually be, some of it might be comprehensible. Um, so the question as he gave it to us is like, why did God create angels if he is powerful enough to do everything? Okay. Uh, adding to that, why did he create us if he is self-sufficient and independent? Great question. And I'm going to kind of conflate the angels and people because I think at least at one level, it's the same. Um, but let's kind of step back and say, uh, look at pretty much from uh, time the, uh, you know, Moses was writing down the first five books all the way up to the Romans. You had a bunch of gods and all these gods needed servants for some reason all right almost pretty much all of the um stories had in some sense that humans were there to be servants of the gods um so there's this need which is very strange now a relationship based on need is at best really kind of transactional um you know contractual limited in that sense uh, so if I need my oil changed or brake inspection, I, you know, I go to my mechanic and the mechanic needs customers. So we kind of go in this arrangement um, to mutually satisfy one another's needs. All right. So very common understanding. How do I go from, you know, ancient gods to Firestone? Um, it, it'll make, it hopefully it makes sense. Uh, if God needed you, Take that for a second. God needs you. Can you really trust that God? 
at the very least, you'd have to live up to some kind of contract with him. Um, and that begs the question, can you or will you? Uh, and what if you don't? Even if that God has the best intentions, if, if he is in any way dependent on you and in any love is somewhat conditional, then his goodness toward you is in some sense dependent on your goodness to him. Okay. Am I making sense so far? Well, that, to me, that doesn't sound like a great deal. Um, in fact, it sounds terrifying because uh, I know myself well enough. Um, you know, someday Andy might give me a performance review and I shudder to think what that'll look like. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, God, you know, that's a whole other level. It's a slight, a slight level up there. Um, so I think we understand that one sense. Now I'm going to do kind of a switch here and ask you a question. How many of you, well, two of you, I guess, uh, one day want to get married? Okay. Uh, so. Why? <laughs> why? A spouse is not necessary. Uh, in fact, they're a big risk. You know, I went 40 years without one and did fine. Um, do you, how many of you who are not parents want to be parents? Same question. Uh, you know, I mean, you don't, you don't need them per se. I mean, they're expensive. They get sticky. They poop. They pee. They all over the place. They're, they're, they wake you up in the middle of the night um, screaming. They can't really do much that's useful. And by the time they are able to do something useful, they start, you know, they, they turn on you, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, you have to pay a lot of money for this privilege to get jerked around by some little brat, you know, you know, why would you put yourself in that position? Um, now I don't have kids, but I do have a wife and I like her. I really do. Uh, she's, she's pretty good, but you know, what? I don't need her. And she seems to think I'm okay. Uh, but she definitely does not need me. Um, and because we don't need one another, we want one another. We are able to more fully love one another because we don't have that, this dependence, you know, watch out for that, you know, for any sort of relationship where it's like, oh, I need you or, you know, you know, yikes, you know, or they say that to you, it's like run away. Because um, you don't, we don't need each other. I bet you we have one of the best marriages you'll find out there because we don't really need each other, but we are free to love each other really well. And yet, um, somehow we are impelled to want a spouse, to want children, not need, but want. Why is this? Because there's something in our nature that's made to love and to cultivate life to expand, to go outward, you know, to not just be static, but to see, to see love, you know, produce love, life, to expand life. And this sounds very familiar. We're made in the image of a God who we say God is love, giver of life, you know, the way, the truth, and what, 
no life. Where's that light? Doesn't matter. Um, get, you know, we're made in that image. Um, and uh, angels and ourselves are sort of an outworking of that. We're made because um, he loves and he wants to see life flourish. Um, not because he has to, but because that's so inherent to who he is. He doesn't need to do any of it, but he wants to. Um, early church father Irenaeus said this, which I think sums it up great. Um, he said, in the beginning, God formed Adam. And I think we can kind of stick any other sentient being. Um, to, in the beginning, God formed Adam, not because he was in need of humans, but so that he might have someone to receive his benefits, someone to bless. Why do you want kids? If you want them because you need their affirmation, don't have them. If you want to have them because you will delight, you delight in the prospect and are willing to take on all that comes with that. Same with a spouse. Not because you need them, but because this is what you're, what this is life. This is love. It's, it's expressed. I think that is ultimately the reason. I mean, it sounds a little trite at first. It's like, you know, he wants us. He, he thinks we're neat. He likes us. No, look at the entire Bible. It's like he's pursuing shalom, flourishing of life and love. That's where everything's headed to. And anything that's opposed to that, it, he is opposed to. Yeah, so um, does that make sense? Let me add to that. Um, you know, just when you're talking about, you know, wives, spouses, whatever, you know, it's like Bible calls them the helpmate. And so on the on one level, okay, we're in the physical world versus, okay, God's in the spiritual world. Okay, and and, and I'm, I'm taking some of this stuff, just shameless plug from God questions, um, but just talking about how angels in essence are like God's mate. You know, and they, they list, I'm not gonna read all this, but look, just the highlights, they list a couple purposes for the angels. So, you know, to serve the people God saves, to uh, deliver messages, to wage spiritual warfare, um, to worship God, to serve, um, to execute judgment, um, to aid in the transmission of God's word. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, God doesn't necessarily need those angels, but they're there to be a helpmate, to help carry out the things of God, to help, um, you know, from just from a spiritual warfare standpoint, to, to battle, <laughs> you know, even for, for us down here. Um, and so, you know, and one day, obviously, you know, we're going to have those spiritual bodies as well. And so, you know, not sure what that's going to look like, you know, how that'll all, you know, come together and what it'll actually be like. But, uh, you know, and people, you know, do all sorts of studies on angels and this, that, and the other, and, oh, we're going to be doing this, that, and the other, and heaven, and, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know. But again, it gets back to being a helpmate of God um, to help further, you know, his mission, obviously. You know. And his nature, he, you know, all these things are, are about his, you know, reflecting his nature, you know, God is a God of order, you know, so he 
He makes a garden, puts people in it and say, you know, expand it and bring order to it. Um, you know, not just go running around, you know, playing games, but um, to, to, in a sense, do more of what I do, you know, um, because there's delight in that for all of us. And I think that's what it comes down to is God, and this is all for the, for joy. Wow. Yeah. I think that was summed up so perfectly. I love the emphasis that God's decisions are not all needs based and the correlation of love to that and how love plays a part in that. Right. I think I heard something similar too when, um, talking about the creation of the universe. We've heard like people talk about like, why is the universe so big? Like, why did God create the universe so expansively when we only have one planet with one like important, you know, species made after his image? Like there's no way. And then just bringing it back to like, it doesn't like have to be needs-based. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Yeah. So I'd I think that was perfect. Yeah, you had something to add there, Bob. We, you know, and, and the more, the less we need people or need something from other, the more we're able to love them. Mm. You know, you know, because I'm not dependent on their love. Um, I, I learned that doing, I worked in inner city ministry toward young adults for a few years. And I realized I can't get wrapped up in their junk. You know, I can't emotionally carry that for them. Because that's not helping them. It's hindering me. I have to be able to look at them and say, I can help you but you need to listen to what I say. And if you don't, I'm still going to bed in my warm place and you're under that bridge and I'll sleep fine. You know, it sounds cold, but really it's like, I don't need you to be fulfilled. And that frees me to love you because I'm not dependent on you. I think God's the same way, only better. Yeah, that's great. Um, we'll move on to our next question then. And this one is one of my favorite discussions. Um, and it has to do with women in the church and their place. And can women be pastors? Um, and before I get into your guys' um, opinions on it, I just wanted to say from my own experience, I actually had an interaction with um, two young ladies who are in CSF. And we we're actually going over a part in the New Testament where it kind of discussed this a little bit. And I know this is sometimes a frequent argument um, against women in the church, how it's briefly discussed or even sometimes discouraged in the New Testament, um, depending on your um, interpretation of it. But we went over that verse and they were strong. When I asked them, I was just curious because they were the only females in our group. And I said, what do you guys think about this verse? Do you think that that means that women can't hold like positions of authority in the church? And they full heartedly said yes. And that was two years ago. And that shocked me. Um, and I might be like playing my cards a little bit, um, saying what are my thoughts on it. Um, but I was just, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to me. Um, and so again, yeah, going off of that a little bit, just your thoughts on, again, maybe that even specific verse, I forget the exact verse in the new Testament, but, um, but yeah, the talking about the, you know, female position mm -hmm. in the church in general. I think that first and foremost, it's back to God's design, whether it's for, you know, husbands, wives, you know, females, you know, you know, heck gender for that matter <laughs> so it gets back to what is god's design for for man and for women and um and and again it's not necessarily one's 
greater than the other. I mean, we all, I mean, we could all learn. I mean, I've learned something from females in Bible studies all the time. Um, but there, again, there's, there's an authority there. You know, people don't like to use that term, but or headship or whatever. Um, but yet it's, it's, I'm trying to think of how I heard it displayed one time, but it was just, you know, there's different roles, but it's not like, okay, this role is that much greater than the other, but they're, they're complementary. But then obviously, you know, just like father, son, and Holy spirit, obviously, you know, there, there's a headship there. There's a design there. Um, you know, we might not fully understand, you know, the reasons why, you know, you know, this might not be the same as the other, um, but, but there's a design there and there, there's a purpose for that. Um, and there's a good purpose for that. Um, and so, um, yeah, let, let me, let me stew on that for a second, but. I, I'd, I'd echo what you're saying, Will. I, I, I think that, um, I think there is an analogy there between, um, the persons of, of the Godhead, um, uh, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in nature, um, but they have different roles in redemption, for example, right? Um, and uh, and I think that the, that is the biblical picture as well for men and women, that they are equal in nature. They're ontologically equal, and Revelation says that very clearly. There's neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ. Uh, but they have different roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that would be my view um, with regard to, to church leadership based on, uh, th- there's a couple passages that I think reflect it. First uh, Timothy 2 is a, is a big one and 3, actually, uh, both of those chapters. First um, Timothy 2 kind of bases it on creation. And that was the thing I think that convinced me uh, that this wasn't just a cultural issue because it, it, it talks about women not uh, exercising authority over man. But then Paul gives us uh, this argument. Uh, about Adam, he takes it back to creation. For it wasn't Adam who was deceived, but the woman uh, was deceived and fell into transgression. Adam wasn't deceived; he he was just disobedient, though, which is another big problem. Uh, but uh, the fact that uh, uh, Paul took it back to creation was a big factor for me, and and saying no, I think this mm-hmm. is meant to be more than just uh, cultural. Um, and then also there's the, the argument that it's based on the nature of God. Mm-hmm. From First Corinthians eleven three, uh, uh, which Christ is the head of the man, the man's the head of the woman, God's the head of Christ, and, and this different role idea that I think Will was kind of hitting on earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a more troublesome topic for me personally, kind of in my gut, than the hell is. I get hell; that makes sense to me. <laughs> this, um, this is. A little, I don't necessarily like my answer, um, and it's basically the same answer that we've, you know, five guys, or at least three, three of us. And it sounds like most of this here. We've got five guys sitting here uh, talking about this, so that's telling. But um, you know, as I've looked at the text, read the various opinions from smart, gracious people, um, the text seems to me to to lean into uh, male headship in the church. Now that's the church. It's not campus ministry. That's not other ministries. Um, you have to be very careful how we apply this you know, or misapply it. 
And certainly doesn't mean that a man has authority, some Christian guy has authority over a woman, you know? So sorry, guys, you don't get to tell my wife what to do. I barely get to do that. <laughs> um, and, um, and usually she's right, you know? Um, and that's you know, part of it. It's like, you know, I don't want to be doing the stuff that she's good at just because I'm a guy. That doesn't make sense. That's stupid. I'd be bad leadership on my part. Um, but yeah, personally, if I could have my way, that would that'd be one of the first things I'd, I'd change. It's like, yeah, I think women should be able to do both. I just don't think the Bible lets, you know, gives, gives that um, not enough that I'm comfortable affirm being in a church that would affirm that um, because I would probably be in a, just kind of my position in life. I mean, I'd probably be in a, some sense of a leader in that church. And, um, but I'm not going to personally, I, I don't have much to add to the conversation. So um, I'm not going to argue for or against it. I ran into this problem with another ministry I worked for um, that it shouldn't have mattered, but because I was what we're calling a complementarian, I was looked at with suspiciously at suspiciously and it became very awkward, even though it really didn't have anything to do. My boss there was actually a woman. I didn't care. That wasn't an issue for me, but in a lot of people's minds that becomes something. And it wasn't her. It was a lot of guys who were being that way. So it gets really uncomfortable really quick. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes I don't like what God says, but I'm going to just say, you know, it's like, I'm not going to change it because I don't like it. Um, and I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to realize that you know, I, I might be wrong and understandings of things sometimes get conflated and confused. Uh, so, you know, you said, can women be pastors? Well, I'm not, I, I'm not sure that isn't a different question. Um, because we're using pastors in the same sense as we use the word elder. But a pastor also could just be considered a gifting of a shepherd, someone who gives leadership to, to God's people, you know, helps guide them. And there were shepherdesses, you know, you know, so if we're going to press the analogy, it seems like I think women can be in a position of elder. I'm not comfortable with that, uh, but exercising giftings of pastor to some extent, maybe. Um, so yeah, it gets, it gets really gnarly real quick. Um, but it's not an issue that I have anything new to add to the conversation. So uh, I, I think it's an issue that needs to be left to the church, to a, a church body. Um, and they're, they're answerable, answerable to God in that. And, you know, you were talking about the, the Trinity there a little bit, Andy, and I, I think there's something to that. But even that gets abused um, by people like us, actually. Um, where they end up making Jesus less than somehow absolutely unequal with the father. And that's another question, um, but it's very rampant and it's people are starting to talk about, it, which is good. 
So we can even say the right things, but use the wrong tools or use them wrongly, the wrong arguments. Not saying you did that, Andy. I don't think you did, but. No, I understand. And yeah, I would say uh, to, to the issue, uh, <laughs> I don't think it, it, you know, to the extent that our uh, interpretation is correct, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think God would set it up that way because women can't do the job um, uh, necessarily. I, mm -hmm. I, I often wonder if part of it is because he's, um, he's expecting men to step up. Uh, mm -hmm. Like a lot of this leadership stuff that you see in the New Testament about men um, is, is a call to man up and, and do mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do instead of retreating back. I wish Adam had stepped up when <laughs> when he was offered the fruit and said, you know, God said no to that, uh, but he didn't, uh, he didn't. Uh, and so I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a slight towards, towards women at all. Um, when God sets up these roles, um, I think it's, he's a picture in God. He's always doing things to try to picture and, 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 and uh, remind us of, of things in our past and, and that sort of thing. So I think that's a lot of that that has to be contemplated. I'm thinking about this issue. But Michael, you're welcome to share your view. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> but yeah, you don't have uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I respect your guys' opinion so much. I think that's an, a great avenue for things like this. Like Christians don't always have to agree on everything, but we're able to kind of discuss and learn together. And hopefully we grow through that. Um, kind of the explanation that I was told, I guess, where I kind of firm my beliefs Um just kind of looking at the culture and how patriarchal that society was, the idea at that time of putting a female in a leadership position would have just been unheard of to the point where anyone looking at that religion or, you know, societal like structure would think it's crazy and not really take it seriously. Um, and so instead of looking at that, looking at the purpose and the theme, I guess, of that command in a way where instead of emphasizing the specifics, emphasizing an importance in church structure where it's not necessarily emphasizing this has to be exact right but it's emphasizing the importance of having the right people at in the church in the structural positions to make it run smoothly right and so because of that cultural understanding um just that how patriarchal it was and what i just kind of said there looking at today's day and age how it's not necessarily that way anymore um there can be women in leadership positions that still you know, maintain that structure in the church where it's still fulfilling that same theme that was being discussed um, in that same passage. And it was Timothy. I'm glad you brought those up. Those are the ones I was thinking of. Um, and so that was my understanding um, and kind of where I based my kind of thoughts off of it. Um, but again, I totally understand your guys' thoughts as well. and would love to hear your kind of, kind of maybe rebuttals to that. The only thing I wanted to say is not a rebuttal, but just to, to echo what the way you started which is uh how awesome is it that we can have these dialogues and and the word that comes to my mind is opportunity 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 christians have such a great opportunity right now in our culture especially to engage in dialogues about difficult issues and to be leaders in how that should be done and this mm -hmm. is how it should be done you know, yeah. we don't have to agree necessarily, but we can love each other and respect each other and listen to each other. And uh, I just think the church has a fantastic opportunity to start doing that. And and um, talk about shining 
in a culture right now right. where they doesn't know how to debate anything without throwing knives at each other. Um, we got a real chance to do it. So I just, I just appreciate uh, your spirit there. That's really all I wanted to say about that, Michael. And thanks yeah. for sharing. That. I don't really have anything that would, I mean, I guess I probably might come up with some things, but it would be half baked. As you're talking, I was thinking something that I've, I've noticed in theology, in, in my observation of, of theology and the theology of the church, ecclesiology in particular, um, of all the theological subdisciplines in the doctrine of ecclesiology, to me, has got to be the fuzziest. Um, and I, my hunch is that might be on purpose because hey, God is God's spirit just works through all kinds of people that if I had it my way, he shouldn't. <laughs> it's like, I don't believe that anymore, but there was a time it's like, um, boy, I don't like the fact that, 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 you know, that Presbyterian, you know, God's working through that Presbyterian, you know, that was a while back. I'm a Presbyterian now. <laughs> uh, but on this side, it's like, oh, look, God does work through all kinds of crazy ideas in spite of us, you know. He works in us, through us, because of us. I think mostly he works in spite of us, <laughs> you know. And that's that's great. So, yeah. Yeah, really, I mean, it's like, again, kind of where I landed, it's like, it's got design. I mean, that's kind of easy out, but it's like, even look at something like First Corinthians 12, where it talks about there are many parts yet one body. And it, it talks about, yeah, the eye can't save the hand, you know, I don't need you because, you know, or I'm not a toe or I'm not a this or, you know, um, you know, or because, and then he talks about, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, you know, all the different gifts and helpings. And, and so again, it gets back to God's design and purpose that have, that we all have different giftings. We all have different roles and, um, and, and yeah, there are some roles that God's going to maybe elevate a little higher, you know, for his purpose and for his design and, and to better understand that and to, and to be able to um, not say, okay, my role is, is, you know, better than, you know, my wife's role, you know, and, and to, to beat down and to, to take advantage of that. But, but versus how can we going both ways to be servant leaders? How can we um, encourage one another, both men and women in our particular roles, in our particular, you know, the design that God has for us um, to build each other up so that just like the, the analogy of the body working, uh, that it can work as if, you know, as in the way that God intends for it to work. Um, because I, I think so many, and we see this day in and day out. It's like whenever we take God's design and we, we make it into our design, well, things are going to just going to, it's not going to work the way it's intended to work. And there's going to be chaos and there's going to be confusion and there's going to be, well, you know, now there's new theology and, you know, and versus, okay, well, father knows best. It's like, let's work in our, in, in what God intended. Um, but yet not holding that, you know, person in a, you know, a lower position or whatever, you know, as a lower position, but to celebrate their role and their purpose and to build them up in that. Yeah, and I also think that that's a great thing to emphasize too. I think a lot of people that might be um, 
closer to my understanding might look at individuals who think that, you know, women aren't supposed to be in and past or in leadership positions and think it has something to do with equality. And I love the emphasis where it's like, that's not the case. It's just a different, right. It's equal, but different with both great, you know, opportunities and great, um, you know, reasons and goals and purposes. Right. But it's just different. Right. And so, um, yeah. So I, I think that's something to highlight too, that it's not a worse or better than argument at all. I'm suspicious of anybody who wants to be in church leadership. <laughs> You're yeah. naive or <laughs> we gotta, we gotta be careful not to rank like the world. You're right. Yeah. It's like, right. Rank like the world. I'm not looking yeah. for trouble. <laughs> but yeah, great stuff. Um, I think we'll kind of conclude with this final question. Um and this is one that we kind of got a lot, maybe not this specifically, but um, the LGBTQ plus community, I think, is one that is frequently discussed. And um, there's a lot of controversy even within the church as to, you know, what's accepted, what isn't. Um, this one specifically was brought to our attention with the utilization of pronoun usage, where um, the transgender community is becoming very vocal about that and the preferences of being referenced to as a he or she or they. Um, I mean, which is sometimes often opposed to biological sex. Um, and so there are two different kind of arguments that kind of got thrown our way. One, the side of the argument was um, pronouns are okay in the sense that if that opens a door for something that minimal for me to oblige you by saying that, and it opens a door for me to get into you and to like connect in a relational level where I can share you the gospel and hopefully, you know, um, maybe change your opinion on it, then it's okay. The other argument was by doing that, it's promoting untruth and we can't promote untruth in any way. Um, so those were kind of two of the arguments that we kind of heard when we were talking about this discussion. So I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this specifically. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yep, those, are, those are the opinions. <laughs> uh, well, I, I can, I can start and, and uh, maybe just throw one little additional nuance to the mix. Um, I, I've heard three views on it. Um, and I guess one of them is, is not pronoun specific and that's why, but the, the first view, as you alluded to says, uh, no, you don't use um, pronouns that are wrong or uh, that don't match the biology and you don't use names either. So if someone was, you know, is, is male and wants to be called you know, Melissa or something. You don't, you don't use that either. So that, so in wrestling with names and pronouns, how do you handle it? One view says no to both. Uh, one view says uh, it's okay to use the name if they want you to, you know, be called by a certain name, go ahead and do that, but not the pronouns. Um, don't give in there. And then the other view is, yeah, give in to, you know, allow them to define how, how they're going to be called. Um, and uh, the, the main argument that I've heard there, in addition to what you, you've said, you know, it opens a door. Um, sometimes they'll argue that gender doesn't mean biological sex anymore. It means my perceived sex, um, that kind of thing. Um, the argument is offered that it's, it's, it's an act of respect for the person to allow them to define themselves. Um, so which view is right? Oof. It's, 
a tough one, I think, honestly. I tend to land on the second view um, myself. I, I think this, you have to kind of, this is a thing you got to seek your own convictions on uh, to some degree. But I, I tend to say, first of all, I try to avoid pronouns, <laughs> and uh, to be honest with you, uh, in this situation. But um, I'm, I'm probably willing to call somebody by the name they want to be called because names have a little bit, I, you know, I know Andy's that are female. I know all Andy's that are male. So uh, I think there's a little more give there. Um, but I'm, I'm not comfortable giving in on the pronouns um, because I do think that you are, you are, you're giving into a standard that's not true. Uh, at that point, you're allowing them to redefine something that just shouldn't, it doesn't seem to me as legitimate. It's not scientific. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's kind of how I land, but I, I know that there are a lot of different views on this. Yeah, I, I have yet to be in the position. Uh, I'm sure it's coming. Um, and I, I tend to agree with you, Andy, on that. Um, I, I also feel like I would, you know, in my, you know, in my head, as I see this playing out, I feel like I would almost need to ask, so you want me to lie to you and you call that respect and just let that sit for a second. You, I, it, it would, if I call you by your, by that, it, it is a lie. As far as I'm concerned, I am not, you know, it's, I, I see it, I see it as, as you being childish, petty, dishonest, and you're okay with that. So just understand if you're looking for my respect, you're just going to have words. You're not actually, I don't actually respect you <laughs> because of this. I, I may not say that exactly. But it's like you're you're basically wanting me to lie lie to you, okay? That that's what every time I say call call you a she when you're when I believe you're a he. Know that's a, know that I believe that's a lie, and that you are silly, and you're calling that respect. That's what you want. I feel like get it, you know, sit with that. Let them, you know, maybe let them sit with that. It's like. It's like, I don't, you know, it's like, well, you're going to think I cancel me. I don't care. Go ahead and cancel me. <laughs> you're going to do it anyway. Um, or, and, and this is where kind of get back to that. If I, if I need your respect, if I need your acceptance, I can't love you very well, you know, um, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't gain my identity through what someone says or or what someone wants me to say and how they're going to define me if I comply or not. I don't care. I mean it's like why should I care what you think of me? And I don't, you know, I, I, you can it's nice if you like me, but you know what? I won't lose sleep over it. I, I am not dependent on your acceptance at all. And maybe let that sit. Um, so, you know, we, we, we can play your game. 
but it's a game and it's a lie and that's enough for me to know you know this it it, it has no integrity and it will it will collapse under its own weight and i might just say something like that you know and then just let it hang i don't know i'm kind of i'm kind of thinking out loud here guys so it's no, just, I just touch oh god I was just going to say, I think that's one of the reasons I like the, the middle view of, of, of being willing, because in a way, what you're saying is I'm willing to compromise with you. You want to be called by, you know, I, what I would say is, what's your name? I'd like to call you by your name. And if they, you know, if it's a biological male who says, you know, Susan. Okay, Susan. Um, let's talk. Kind of cash, a boy named Sue, you know. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, because... Uh, I would hate to lose the opportunity to share the gospel um, over this, right? I want to try to open that door for this person. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to find a way to do it with my convictions, you know, without sacrificing my convictions. Um, and I, I don't, you know, necessarily feel like I'm lying to somebody if they say I want to be called by a certain name, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or, and, 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 I'm, and I'm trying to give them something, but at the same time, I'm also not willing to go all the way in, uh, to, to mm -hmm. say you're another you know, mm -hmm. sex. <laughs> um, so that, that's kind of the middle ground that, that I hope that someone on the other side would be able to understand from me. Um, that there's, and, and you there's won't always be able to have a dialogue. Yeah. And you might not, you might not get that, you know, you're not going to win every time yeah. and not every opportunity is really an opportunity. You know, you be faithful in as much as you can in your conscience um, and in, in light of what's true and it may not be time they may not be in a position to hear you anyway so you're not doing any favors by trying to force something in there that god has not moved to to make them open to yeah. um but i do believe when we're when we're operating from a place of truth that you can't get to the gospel to you know via a lie I don't, I don't think, you know, God is a God of truth. So using uh, deceptive measures of any sort um, or compromising any sort uh, is not going to get you ahead. Now, God may ignore that, but you are not helping your cause by, by compromising truth. God, like I said, usually works in spite of us. But in as much as we can, we should work with him. <laughs> well, and just from the standpoint of God's not going to be mocked. I mean, scripture is clear about that. Um, th there was a quote from Blaise Pascal, and this is kind of backing up what you were saying. And, and you know, he said this, but it, it's so much true today as well. It says truth is so obscured nowadays and lies are so well established that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. And on the one hand, that speaks to the culture. But then sadly, even today, even within the church, 
we've exchanged the truth for lies. We we've made God in our own image. We we decided that we you know our theology now needs to change and become more progressive or liberal or whatever. You know where we've accepted lies as as the new truth. Mm-hmm. And 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 so like Bob said, it's like we're kind of at a point in in the culture where maybe people aren't going to want to, there's going to be a a moment. And I think we're pretty close to the fact that we have to decide, are we going to be choosing to please man or choosing to please God? Are we going to be, you know, the lines are going to be drawn and we have to make a choice Mm -hmm. which side we're going to be on sadly, even within the church. And, and that's hard, you know, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, okay. Yeah. Be at peace with everybody. Okay. I get that. But, you know, the lines are are coming closer, you know, to the point of, okay, we're blurring truth. We're blurring what God's word says, what God's design is, even within the body of Christ. And, and then, you know, chaos happens. And then you get churches splitting, you know, and then having to, oh, let, let's have a conference to see, you know, what, you know, whether God approves of X, Y, or Z. Well, God's word is pretty clear on a lot of this stuff, you know. But we've made, you know, God into our own, you know, we've made our own God. Uh-huh. And, and we're now suffering the consequences of that. And, and so, like Bob said, it's like, okay, yeah, you can play your little games, but at the end of the day, it's like, I need to be erring on the side of truth, not on the side of, of lies and deceptions. Um, and, and, you know, people don't want to hear that today. And, and I, I, I get that. Um, but it's not going to get any easier. Yeah, I, I think it's only going to become harder to stand for biblical truth and God's design. Um, but we have to do that. The Old um, Testament, God called prophets who were consistently, comprehensively rejected. It's a sucky job. Um, but their job was to glorify God, not the and speak the truth was the means toward that. It really, and it, it's about God. It's about pleasing him and being obedient to him um, and loving others in light of that. Not in light of what the culture says, not in light of what other people say, because that's not really love. That's, that's hate mm-hmm. or indifference. Um, it's not love. Um, you know, you know, love often looks like hate and hate often looks like love. I mean, Jesus dying on a cross did not look loving. Did not look like an act of love. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you guys first and foremost. Just um, this is such a tough conversation and I appreciate everyone's opinions and thoughts on the matter. Um, I know for me specifically, this is such a tough issue. Um, especially in today's culture um, and where things are going. Um, I think for me, um, I really can relate to what Andy was talking about, where it's so hard for me to, I guess, shut the door on an entire mission field based on something um, like pronouns. Um, And it's so hard again, too, because we don't want to promote deception like you guys were talking about, too, where that's not what we want to do. Um, so, yeah, so it's hard. Um, I always, when I'm thinking about this, I do, for my own personal beliefs, I guess, um, kind of think back to 
um, when God or Jesus was asked, what is the most important um, law of all? And it's to love God and love others. Um, and I know that truth is involved with love. That's a hundred percent necessary. Um, but again, I also, and also think about that day and age when um, Jesus healed people on Sunday, where he would go against what was considered the law, what was considered truth at that time to go out of his way to be loving. Um, and yeah, so it's, I, I don't know if I have a full like stance either way. Um, I understand both arguments. Um, for me, it's just, I guess, really hard to think that if I knew if, if God told me that by me calling someone who is biologically a male, um, she, if that opened it up to them where they were like, you know what, this person is caring about what I think they actually, you know, res like respect me. And, um, that opens the door where I can form a relationship with them, not lying to them, telling them my personal beliefs saying, you know what, I don't necessarily believe what you're saying is true. Um, but I'm going to respect your thoughts on this. And so if by doing that, I'm able to connect with them, um, and again, get them to a point where they're able to see Jesus and have Jesus do the rest of the work. Like we talked about, um, where, um, if I can maybe plant that seed, God can do the rest with the water. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think again, it's, it's a really tough, tough yeah, kind of, I don't, I don't thing. think, I don't think you can get it. I don't even know if you can ever feel like you did it right. I mean, mm. I just thought of a, a similar, I, I think it might be a similar situation. Have you ever talked to the Mormon guys at school? Have you ever talked to any Mormons who knocked on your door or, you know, calling themselves elder? Hmm. They're, they're 18, 19 year old. And they, they're using a term that I associate with now your average 19 year old, uh, you know, walking around smiling in a white shirt and tie. That's not an elder. You got to uh, have some gray to be an elder, right? Come on. <laughs> you got to have earn that. You got to have some peach fuzz. <laughs> some, some pains. Yeah. But, but you know, I mean, the, you know, it's like, I'm pretty sure I can look at the biblical definition of elder and they're not going to qualify no matter how good they are. Am I going to say, I'd rather call them by their first name, but I guess if I'm consistent, I would say the same thing, but I probably wouldn't. I mean, so I get it, you know, and I, it's an area where you just got to have a lot of grace and realize, you know, we might be getting it wrong and it still might be better to move forward in faith and be in a little bit of error than not move than, than not do anything and definitely be an error. Uh, it's I don't know. I could I could go I could be changed. I wonder if some of it is in context dependent too. Who is this person? How well do you know them? Yeah. Pray, pray, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit yeah. to guide you and give you wisdom on it. And, and maybe it maybe it depends on the situation. I, I don't know. It is a tough one. But I'd love to know. You know yeah. What uh, I don't know, Ben. Are, are we? Do you have any thoughts on this to add, or are you pleading with it? Um. I fall, I fall near the middle, I would say. Um, I'm, a, I'm an honors peer mentor, and one of my mentees does use they, them pronouns, and I, I have not 
done 100 percent um but i've certainly made the effort to to refer to them as um as they're wanting to be called and maybe that's just me preferring to keep the peace and i i did sign a contract that said i wouldn't you know um fight with them on it but i mean i think i do genuinely genuinely feel as if it's it's not that i'm like giving up ground because i'm not if 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 they sat me down and asked me what I thought, I would tell them everything that I do and and I would not shy away. But also I want that conversation to happen. Um, And I don't think it's going to happen if, if someone who's supposed to be their leader just like blatantly refuses to use something that they see as completely basic. Um, And then expanding the question a little bit, kind of like what Bob did, like, okay, if two, if two lesbian women get married, would I refer to them as Mrs. or if, if two gay guys got married, would I say, hey, his husband is over there? Like, that is a recognition of something that may not be biblical, but it's certainly cultural slash, like, like legal, <laughs> right? Um, and so would I do that? Yes, of course I would. So why am I drawing the line here at pronouns? Um, one of those is wrong, obviously, because it's not consistent. And so which one is it? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I would sure like to know, but I'm, I'm not... As of right now, I'm not going to start divvying, divvying up how I treat people based on my personal, like, mm-hmm. this is weird to me. This is fine to me. I think that's incredibly inconsistent. Like that, that would cause more error than what I'm doing right now, which is taking a step back and saying, okay, we're going to do what we do, but we're going to be at least judicious about each step that I make. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, summary, I would use, I would use alternative pronouns if if only just to live at peace with everyone, which is what I would define it as. Um, so I, I would shuffle it under that, that, um, and that in that situation, I, I get that, that, you know, that's, it does seem like relationally, the relationship context that's play a role. And it's interesting. You said they, them, it's like, I don't even try to have a problem with that one, but I don't, I don't know. You yeah. know, in a way well, that's, I think, that's yeah. pretty safe. If you give one, you give all, I think. I think it's the entire, yeah, I, don't know. Yeah. I mean, it stems from an, what I would consider an abiblical redefinition of something that is incredibly fundamental. So I don't think it's something we get to just say, oh, I'll yeah. use they, them. But when they start using like he and she interchangeably, or if like they, them, or like, like the, the ultra alternative pronouns, we would say, like, that's where I draw. Like, I, I don't think you can be consistent with drawing those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a one and all, and, and I've chosen all. There's so many layers there. I mean, but I mean, this, this even gets back to um, just apologetics and evangelism. I mean, cause it, this, this whole conversation reminds me of a tabling uh, question we did you know, a couple months back where I, I posed the question. I said, could your identity dot, dot, dot be wrong? Yes or no. And it had some wonderful engagements with people. And, and this one person came up and, and she, she, she adamantly wrote, no, I'm bi, you know, stormed away this that, and the other. But, but again, having those conversations talking about, okay, well, what are you defining that identity as? Where is that coming from? What, and, and obviously from a, from a biblical standpoint, you know, for those that are us that are believers, who are we according to Christ, not according to the world, not according, you know, but again, delving deeper into okay, well, what is identity? You know, who, who d- defines what we are? 
you know, and getting people to think about that and starting those conversations. And obviously from a Christian standpoint, uh, we want to steer people to God and his word and to his truth, not, <laughs> okay, well, here's what the world defines, uh, t- you know, today, which will probably change tomorrow and, you know, 10 times over the next three days. Um, but again, starting those conversations um, with, you know, relying obviously on the truth and then steering towards that. Um, but, but it, yeah, it's, 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 it's messy out there. So. But. Yeah. Again, I think phenomenal, phenomenal discussion. Um, and I get, I'd say just maybe going off of what Ben said too. Um, I think for me, my big kind of description or discrepancy, I guess, is like, for me, it scares me way more the thought of, again, maybe not adhering to those pronouns. If that interaction sets them off to Christianity for life, that like this Christian does not, you know, respect me in that sense. And that person's view of Christianity is never like my actions can drive them away from Christianity, like scares me more, I guess, than um, choosing whether or not I, I call them a he, even if I don't necessarily believe it, I can tell them that I don't necessarily believe it, but I think to me, um, again, doing that with that emphasis that that could form that relationship and and not drive them away from Christianity is is the thought process. But um, I think it's valid. Yeah, but again, it's like again, I think this is great dialogue, and I love to hear the differing opinions and stuff. And I think I think that's I really love what Bob said too, where it's like at the end of the day, we couldn't we could be wrong. But it's just, you know, we're trying our best to understand scripture and understand Jesus the best way that we can. And the way that we learn and grow is through that scriptural um, development and it's through discussion, I think, with members of the Christian community, just, you know, dialoguing about interpretations and learning together. Um, and I don't think anyone here is going to admit to be perfect, right? No one here has it all figured out, um, but we all are striving to do that. And again, like Bob said, living by faith that hopefully we are, you know, living by that truth that God gives us. So, um, I think that puts us right at the two hour mark. Um, uh, before we go, I just want to thank you guys so much for spending this portion of your evening with us and really just kind of investing in CSF and in the IPY students. Um, I really hope that individuals got something today that can help them in their, in their spiritual walk. Um, I know I have, I really think that it was just a great dialogue between um, great individuals. And I appreciate each and every one of you for everything that you do for us and are doing for us now with this, um, this interaction we're having now. Um, before we um, close out, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, Ratio Christi? Um, just kind of promote yourselves a little bit, uh, where you can be found on campus. Um, I know we talked about the website a little bit, but some, maybe some events coming up, but how can the students kind of interact with you guys if they're interested in learning more? Andy, why don't you go? <laughs> uh, well, of course, it's uh, the best way to reach us, I guess, would probably be to, to to reach out through the website just because, um, I mean, it's the end of the semester, so we're getting ready to, I don't know when this is gonna air as it were, but uh, when you will be watching this, but uh, uh, we've got a lot of exciting things we're cooking up for the spring semester, uh, including uh, maybe some uh, gatherings uh, to watch debates and discuss those kinds of things. And um, uh, we typically meet on Tuesday evenings uh, in the campus center. And uh, we're open to the kinds of issues you want to study. So this is a student organization, right? We want to study the things that you guys want to study. So your questions, the kinds of questions you would have for God, 
or the kinds of questions you're getting it with on campus, uh, challenged by professors, challenged by uh, other students, or just your own issues you're wrestling, uh, are the kinds of things we want to help you uh, walk through. So that's really why our group exists, is yeah. to help you work that out. And we've got atheists in our group, we've got uh, strong believers in our group, and we have great discussions. Uh, people are respectful, and uh, so it's it's a good opportunity opportunity not only to learn, but a good opportunity to be able to engage with people who don't think the same way you do, uh, to be able to get out there and, and, and actually start having dialogues if you want to. Um, so we've got a lot of interesting opportunities. So yeah, just reach out to us, rciupoi.org, uh, email Will or Bob or myself. And, and, uh, and we'll have stuff going yeah. on throughout the week. Uh, so Tuesday is one time, there'll be other times and one-on-ones, you know, however we can serve you, if we can do it, let's do it. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we have, we have students contact us and say, hey, I'm in an anthropology class and my professor's saying this about human evolution and I don't know what to do with it. Can we get together? And we'll just, we'll just meet and have coffee and talk about it, you know? And mm-hmm. So, I mean, it can be something as basic as that as well as, as a formal get together with group, you know, it can be something. So anyway, we can help. Yeah. I mean, we're all about apologetics and evangelism, but we're also, from a broader standpoint, we're a resource. I mean, we're not only a resource for the students, but we're a resource for parents. We're a resource. We were at a church event um, a couple of months back doing some tabling for them. And it's like, we had grandparents coming up to us and like, hey, look, our apologetics resources are for you as well. And so we want to be a resource for anybody and everybody um, to, again, better know, you know, the reasons for the hope that we have and to be able to know and, and what we believe and why we believe and how to defend that. Um, and so we, even on our website, we have a, we, we're trying to have more engagement to the point of, Hey, ask us some questions. We want to be able to address the questions that you guys are wrestling with, or, or like Andy said, that, that your teachers are coming up against you with. And so we want to be able to walk through um, you know, the believers in our group, but then, you know, believers in CSF, the believers in, you know, crew and, and other groups as well, um, even in you know, churches as well, and to be a resource to come alongside to help equip and to, and to help us, um, to, yeah, just better equip to know, you know, the truth of the gospel and to how, how to uh, stand up for that and to love people enough to, to give them the truth and to love them um, with the gospel. So, and all of our contact information is on our website as well, too. So um, reach out. And uh, any way we can be of service, we want to be able to, to be a resource and a service. So Awesome. Thank well, you. thank you guys so much. Sorry, again, Andy, finish something. You said something. No, I was just thanking you. And, yeah. and Ben, uh, thanks to Ben uh, for this opportunity. We really appreciate it. And uh, we love uh, what you guys are doing at CSF. And, and uh, we're just honored to be a part of a small part of, of what you're doing. Yeah, we're super excited to have you guys. And like I said um, at the start of this, like you guys, our last two conversations have been like our top interacted with, which is awesome because that's what we want. We don't want like, you know, if Michael and I just like recorded ourselves blubbering <laughs> on for two hours, it wouldn't get much. It wouldn't get much. <laughs> and I hope not because I don't think I'd say anything interesting in that time, but <laughs> having like people like you guys out here on campus, actively promoting, actively like wanting and engaging with students, um, 
both of the Christian faith, like us trying to equip us for these kinds of conversations, as well as like us as part of CSF, knowing that there's other groups out there who are like very good at what they do, which you guys are, um, and that you guys can serve as resources for us. And that we know, like if we have question or if we can point someone like, hey, maybe I don't know the answer, but you know what? On Tuesday nights, there's a group that meets that talks just about this kind of stuff. So we, we are really grateful for what you guys do and honored to have you as part of our, our uh, scent. Yeah. Thank you. Thank awesome. You. So yeah, um, echo exactly what Ben said. And I think to close out, we'll, we'll end in prayer as we normally do. So um, if Ben's okay with it, I'll have him close us out and then we will um, get you guys out of here. Thanks for spending the time with us. So thanks guys. Yeah. All right. So guy, thank you again for um, Bob, Andrew and Will, our three uh, RC guys. Uh, super, super excited that we could have this conversation, um, both about what we can do personally to serve you better in evangelism, as well as how we can better like personally equip ourselves. Um, so God, thank you again, just for this conversation and for any future, future conversations I'm sure we'll have. Um, I hope this, this recording is a blessing to those listening and, um, yeah, thank you again for all these opportunities. Amen. 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 Have a great finals week. <laughs> yeah. And then